0: And hello again! Thank you so much for tuning into Counterculture. I'm Jonathan Sanborn.
1: And I'm Lisa Jernigan.
0: How are you this fine day?
1: Doing great. I, I'm. I'm looking forward to being here and having this conversation with you oh. and with our guest.
0: You're so it's optimistic.
1: Needed. Oh, I know, but it's it's always it just feels purposeful. It right? feels purposeful. Yeah.
0: That's right. <laughs> so we love having guests. Not just we love our guests, but especially when they come in studio. And I, we have here we have in studio today Josiah Friedman.
2: Hello, Josiah. Jonathan, it's really excited, really exciting to be here. Thank you. Sure. Yeah.
0: No, Josiah is one of the very rare, I think, re- return guests. Wow. Wow. That's an honor. And that he is. just
1: shared that this is our hundred and second
0: show. Hundred and second show. So
1: you're kind of celebrating a whole new era.
0: Yeah. With That's us. Yes. Congratulations, you yeah. guys. Yeah. I didn't think I had it in me. <laughs> I think I had about forty shows. And that no, but here. Well, you I can am. talk pretty well. Yeah, you think so? Right. I think it, it's because I have great people with me. That's right. what I've learned. It makes it fun I sw- and it I, makes it know, easy, I, right? And interesting. I'm, it's always interesting. Right. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, Josiah, thank you so much again for being back. Josiah is the founder and CEO of Voices for the Voiceless. Of Voices for the Voiceless. There you go. Yeah, you're a, you're a visionary mastermind. It says on your webpage. I, I'm not sure who wrote that. <laughs> <It> wasn't me.
1: <laughs> yeah. I like
0: that. Okay. Uh, it's like you're. It's, but it sounds like it's either really good or. Criminal, like you're like a criminal mastermind. I think of masterminds. I think different people take it different ways. <laughs> That's right.
1: yeah. I expect a costume. A costume. A no, he's,
0: he's just kind of he just looks like a normal guy. You wouldn't guess that he's a visionary mastermind.
2: There we go. Normal yeah. guy, but but pretty good looking. Pretty you know? good
0: looking. Yeah, he does. <laughs> and and you're a, you got the dad swagger too because you're a new parent, right? Yeah, which just means I, look like I haven't slept in
2: <laughs> weeks. That's right. You're, he's on fumes and caffeine.
1: You entered to the new club, right? That's right. Yes.
2: Yeah. Proud to be here. Proud to be a member. Yeah. Uh, proud of the dad club.
0: Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So you're going to get into like World War II history, smoked meats, lawn care. Those are the dad things, right? D- dad jokes.
2: It's all I talk about now. <laughs> Know anything about it until six <laughs> weeks ago, and now, now, it's, now like, it's, <laughs> it. it's it. That's <laughs> it. You've been initiated, right? Yeah.
1: yeah. Apparently. <laughs> yes. So,
0: in addition to being a, in the a new member of the Dad Club and a Vision Mastermind, Josiah also has a, a a very an excellent TED Talk on on this on the topic of unwanted pregnancy and messaging in the in this. And so, if you haven't, if you're interested in going a little deeper and going further, just look up TED Talk. Uh, how would you find it really quickly? You'd Google my name, Josiah Friedman. Josiah Friedman. it come up. Yeah. Really? Okay. Well, there, there we go. go. Just so. <laughs> and Josiah and I also work in the same building. Yeah. So we are often running into each other, and his lovely wife, and just love love what they're about, and every, you know. So I just like these are my these are my buds, and I get to have them on my show, but. For such a time as this, this is like, like a, a really important time in our country, in our culture. Mm-hmm. And and when I think of like the top people in our state to, to talk about what our country is going through after the overturn of Roe versus Wade, Josiah is like, like top of the list. And so what – because I, I mean this isn't like a new thing for you. This is something – this is your space. So just – yeah. Let's just go like, why you? What? What? Why were you at this, around this conversation in, in the pro-life space?
2: Yeah. I mean, so 13 years ago, I got involved in this space because of uh, many people, for the same reasons that many people do, this concept of justice, right? Mm-hmm. You don't want the little guy to be taken advantage of. I didn't want to live in a world where not all humans uh, – had the right to life, right? Where some could be excluded just because they were mistimed or unwanted or something mm-hmm. was wrong with them. And so it started with that hard. I wanted to change it. My dad was a physician, and so I, he had a deep passion for the science on this. And this issue, to be honest, is not extremely morally or scientifically complex. It, mm-hmm. It's really not. Most people in our country w- would agree with that statement. But it's amazing how socially complex it is. The only reason I'm actually here is not because of those feelings, but because three years after I would got involved in these efforts, my mom, who'd always been a little uncomfortable with my work, sat me down on the couch and told me a story that, that no one knew. It's about a time when she grew up in a small town in Minnesota, White Bear Lake, where kind of everybody knew everybody else. Um, she grew up in a Catholic family with a father who was a World War II vet with a sterling public reputation and the high character that earned it. And when she found out she was pregnant, she knew only one thing. Her dad could never find out about this. Mm. Yeah. Wow. And so sitting across from her, she told that story. She went to Planned Parenthood. They told her she could go to a hospital and get this taken care of discreetly, and no one would have to know. And so so she went up. She had the procedure done, and she hoped it was over. And a couple days later, she began bleeding everywhere. Had to be rushed back to the hospital where she stayed overnight, and her worried parents Mm -hmm. came and visited her, asked her what was wrong. Somehow she managed to conceal it. A few days later, an insurance bill showed up in the mail describing her condition that night, addressed to her dad, right? And she found it. Yeah, yeah. She found it in the mail before he came home. And my 19 year old mother drove back to the hospital and said, Look, no one can find out about this. You promised me no one would have to know. You don't know how much shame it's going to bring on my family. You don't know how this is going to change the entire status that we have in, in this little town that we live in. Mm. Um, this can't happen. So they changed the bill, said bleeding from an irregular period to describe what she had received care for, and they sent her home. <laughs> and for 30 years, this kind of ate at her in silence and no one really knew mm-hmm. until her son, her oldest son, just began picking the scab without knowing it. Now, I was saying things I would not say today. I was saying things that um, I think were, <laughs> were over the line and full of perhaps truth but not full of compassion and certainly not with a heart that had any knowledge about why people are walking through this, mm-hmm. why they find themselves in a pregnancy mm-hmm. and feel like abortion's their only choice. Mm-hmm. And since then, the mission of Voices for the Voiceless has been pretty simple. How can we actually sit with people who experience that and find a way that they could go from the kind of isolation they feel to a space where they could thrive on a motherhood journey? knowing that it's going to take all of us yeah. to get there.
1: That's amazing. So had your mom been holding that secret for 30 years to herself?
2: Yeah, pre- pretty much. I mean, my dad knew, I think, uh, maybe one or two other people in her life, but but none of us really knew. Wow. And so when I began speaking up on this and became, you know, it was, I wasn't well-known, but I was right. known for this. And um, it really, it really aided her, as you would imagine it would.
1: Sure.
0: I, I went to an event one time and they were trying to think about a, w- a different way to approach this topic and you, something that you you said really struck with me. It's like n- no one can know about this and the idea that we are, there is probably some sin that all of us have committed that what would it take to us to stand up in around all our f- peers, our church and people and say what that is and that's – that's kind of what we're asking in this topic, like it's like we sort of presume like oh you're probably you to get you know no this is really deep
2: covering like of sin that or 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 at least can present it that way uh, you got to sit with this for nine months this yeah. isn't something that that just happens and no one realizes it does. this is something that can affect your your job prospects we live in a in a nation with no paid maternity leave right now, right? right? Um, this, is a, you know, this is something that can affect your ability to care for other people who, who depend on you. Most people aren't aware of this at all, but about 60%, that's six zero, of the women in the United States who get abortions mm-hmm. are already mothers. And mm. they're making a much different calculus. For them, this isn't about the things I want to do with my life or the person I want to be or my reputation. It's that there's a delicate balance of people who depend on them mm-hmm. for their livelihood and care, and they don't want to jeopardize that. So you can imagine all the things that you could be feeling in that moment that would cause isolation, that would cause you to want to go through this without anyone knowing. But like anything like that, we don't actually find freedom. Yeah, We can't actually make a decision that's strong. Um, we can't actually do something that we're proud of by making a decision in the darkness in complete mm. isolation
1: mm. well and this carries so much shame too i mean and that your mom had to be kind of carrying that because what do people think What would, if they knew what, how would they respond to me and that's kind of unique in some ways to this um how we've how we treated women mm-hmm. that have had that have made that decision and historically the church hasn't treated them very well and yet we know that so many women sitting in our in our churches today are carrying that, mm-hmm. right? Are are sitting there with that. How do we love them? And you have kind of a stand by her movement. What does that mean to stand by her? Like we can say that, and it sounds really good, but what does that practically look like? Because that's what we want to talk about. Like, how do we come alongside her? Like your mom.
2: Yeah, I. It's a great question. Um, and here here's the answer. I. It, it takes all of us. Mm-hmm. The philosophy that we've always operated by at Voices for the Voiceless is this: if abortion is anything, it is fundamentally a breakdown in community, and even more than that, abortion is a failure of community. Basically, this doesn't happen without something, uh, without some kind of support that should have been there for you in a critical moment, not being there. Mm -hmm. Abortion doesn't happen except for that happening recurringly, and. If we're going to have a movement that's about standing by her, empowering women to go from uh, feeling that isolation to being able to walk on a journey where they actually feel supported and can thrive, then we need to look at every element, everything that's causing her to feel that isolation. Now, here are a few things. I'm just going to pepper them out there. Okay? Do it. Um, in the United States, as I mentioned, we don't have paid maternity leave. The corporate structure and culture in our country is such that if you're somebody who's worked hard to get where you are and you get pregnant, companies often frown on the prospect of motherhood. That's got to change in our culture today. Mm-hmm. You'll notice that when the Roe decision was handed, handed down um, – or rather the Dobbs decision overturning Roe, the sheer, sheer number of companies that said that they would pay – their employees to go to other states and have abortions, you got to imagine, why is a company doing that? Why is it in their best interest to take such a position on such a divisive issue? And to be perfectly frank, I think a leading reason is that it's in the company's best bottom line interest for you to have an abortion than it is to support you on a motherhood journey. That's always been the case. So if we're going to change this, a stand by her culture means a corporate culture, business leaders who tell their employees, if you want to become a mother, we want to support you to do that. We want to make a way where you can thrive here and thrive at home at the same time. We want you to bring your whole self to work. That's just one, one way it looks. Um, there's a bunch of others. In healthcare, we have to change that dramatically. In the whole healthcare space, um, abortion has been treated a, a lot of times like a holy grail to the point that certain people can be discriminated against without us even noticing. And the people I'm talking about are parents of children who receive uh, a diagnosis that their child's going to be born with Down syndrome or any other any other disability, right? In that space, uh, frequently what happens in our country, and you know this because Two-thirds of pregnancies that are prenatally diagnosed with Down syndrome in the United States end in termination, Mm -hmm. and the rates are high across the developed world. That's because healthcare professionals are conditioned and trained to tell you once you get that diagnosis, I'm so sorry. Here are the things that will probably go wrong, Um, and here's how many days you have left to decide and are not conditioned to tell you about the resources available to help you thrive. That is another moment of intense isolation that's driving abortion in this country. If you can imagine envisioning for yourself a certain life with your child. I know I I just got done with this, right? Walking with my wife and and our pregnancy together and thinking all the dreams we have for this kid and hearing that diagnosis and feeling like everything's shattered. If you also think that there's no support for you, Mm then you're going to make a certain decision because of the isolation you feel. Um, there's other places too. We'll talk about the church for a minute. The truth is, I would say churches generally err in one of two directions on this issue. It's either that they are very politically focused on this issue. And I don't think that's bad. I think uh, churches should tell people who they should support in line. You know, uh, basically, you know, what things should we go to the ballot box and really care about? I think churches have a role in in telling us that absolutely, and they need to do so faithfully. Um, You also have churches that don't want to touch this with a 10-foot pole politically. But the truth of the matter is, the number of women walking into churches the same month that they get an abortion is extremely high the number of times it comes up in those churches is basically never. And the truth is we don't have a way in our churches of actually encouraging a conversation around this topic that's life-giving, that encourages people to be vulnerable. Imagine for a moment, if you had something from the pulpit or even just a culture in a church where it was like, hey, if you're walking through this, we just want you to know that's not, we don't expect that no one in our congregation is going to go through this. We think mm-hmm. it's unexpected pregnancy is a pretty normal phenomenon mm-hmm. here. Right. We want to make sure that if you face that, you receive the absolute full support of the church in the form of resources in the form of encouragement and support. We're going to walk that entire journey with you. We just want to let you know if that's what you face, then, then that's true. That's another form of—that that could curb so much isolation that we experience, and there's one other layer to it, and you mentioned it. So many people in our churches today have walked through unplanned pregnancy, but even more specifically, abortion personally. And to not talk about it at all actually has an incredible future impact, not only because we're denying the ability to bring the the love of Jesus and the gospel into that that silent moment in people's life they don't want to talk about. But because the number of times people get an abortion and then get in an unexpected pregnancy yet again and feel like, look, that already happened in my life. Um, Maybe I should just go and do this again, right? Mm-hmm. We live in a culture where that that happens frequently. People feel so much isolation; they walk through this journey several times. And if we're ever going to be able to address and help them, we've got to be open and honest about facilitating a conversation in the church. So those are just three areas where where a lot of work needs to be done. Yeah, and, I'd say, yeah.
1: You just said a whole lot. I'm like my mind is going crazy because there's so many things to to even unpack in that. Um, and again, how we see women, how we treat—you're um, thinking of failure of community. Yes, that's, that's that's really key because when we are in isolation, we do destructive things. And um, and so, how do how does the church show up and provide that community that's safe, compassionate, holistically embracing? Not just women but all people, right, the vulnerable I mean it, it extends beyond all of this, but how do we start seeing this for what it is, and like you said, having the conversation i mean we 're trying to have that in our own church um, when we 've been talking about that, and how do we care and how do we how do we show up as the church not with shame but with open arms to go, we love you it, you know you 're not defined by things in the past and you know it, a new creation, right, but how do we love you and help you through your journey of a lot of times it comes with trauma. And so how do we just really support? Um, so I, lo- I love the different things you brought up. So thank you.
2: Yeah, absolutely. You know, something that I don't think has dawned on many people in light of the news that's just happened with Roe is that the way people walk through an unexpected pregnancy and, and an abortion in the United States is profoundly changing. It used to be in our country that the main way of doing that was you'd, you'd walk into a clinic, You'd have some sort of consultation, and then you'd have an abortion procedure in the clinic or they'd give you the abortion pill, um, which is not the morning-after pill. It's the uh, abortion pill that they give you. The FDA approves it through 10 weeks, right? And they'd send you home and say, hey, call us if you have any issues. That used to be the way people walk their journey. Um, but in so many states now, across the country, um, as the laws are changing, um, there are different ways that have been adapted such that the experience of unexpected pregnancy is different. And it's different in this way. You can now buy the abortion pill um, from your home and have it mailed to you without ever talking to a healthcare professional. Now, we don't recommend that. We think that's kind of reckless to do health-wise. But what it means is that for our churches and for everyone who needs to come around her in this moment, we need to realize that there's a particular kind of isolation going on. People facing unexpected pregnancy are more isolated than ever. And frankly, with the decision that was just handed down, there's probably more fear than there's ever been before. And so how do we step into that and make any kind of difference at all? Well, if you're a church or even just a person or a business person, I think there's a few things you can do. It starts with this. you need to be proactive in reminding people that you'll be there for them. Uh, in speci- Be specific. It'll be awkward. You should have awkward conversations with people where you say, hey, I realized that this decision was just handed down. I want you to know that if you ever walk through this, um, I'm just going to be there every step of the way. I want to be there. I want to be your super fan. I want to walk you know, mm-hmm. walk with you on this journey because okay. I know you can do it. Um, and uh, And I'm going to be there for you. We're going to make this work. You have to say that in advance. So- one layer to my mom's story most people don't know is a year after um, that all took place, she watched her brother and his girlfriend get pregnant and go to her dad and tell him. And he responded to her astonishment with kindness. Wow. And that was like a, a knife to my mom's heart. Now, your daughter getting pregnant is not the same, right, right. As, as your son. But uh, but my mom knew I would. she would have had the same reaction. And so she looked at that situation and and realized, um, not only did I feel isolated, but I, I perceived that I was completely alone without actually being that way. Can you imagine how many people in our churches and communities actually just perceive total isolation that may not even be real, because none of us have ever proactively said that we'd be there in that critical moment. And so That needs to happen. Um, If you're a church, my recommendation is that you use this time to actually talk about this issue. I can't tell you how much uh, latent pain is going to come up in the next few weeks from among people that are sitting in uh, in the pews every Sunday, how much uh, things that people have never processed before. And it is not something to lament right now. I think there are some people that are going, let, you know, let's go and let, let's, you know, lament all that's happened in our country and, and mourn not only the lives lost, but just the complexity of this and, and the way women have been harmed. I, I think what needs to happen in our churches is that people have to realize there's a profound need. There's a profound need to care for people who have walked along a journey they've never been able to tell anyone about or are walking a journey right now. They don't feel like they can tell anyone about it all because of the heightened division in our country that's mm. happening. That needs to be broken through. It needs to be broken through in our churches. It needs to be broken through by corporate leaders. It needs to be broken through by healthcare professionals so that people know that if they're facing unexpected pregnancy, they will have the full support of their community. Mm. So
0: that is really powerful. I, I love this idea of being the preempt, preemptive posturing towards this issue rather than just responding and kind of sorting out because, again, I think what I've heard, 90 percent of people who get pregnant would never tell anyone in their church. Oftentimes that culture of, one, this could be the greatest sin you could ever commit in church. Mm-hmm. um then, I mean, I was at a church I attended, the pastor said, well, the problem is if she could just keep her legs closed, we wouldn't have this problem. Oh, my gosh. Oof. The pastor. And so mm. and imagine that, you know, the, the the culture that gets created in a church when that's the, – the problem is her immorality. It's her, it's right. her and the immorality. Mm-hmm. For, you know, I think if I pressed into that, that might not be what the pastor would fully stand on, but – that's how you're, they, you're hearing. But that's it. what was said, and that's mm-hmm. what's communicated, and so this culture gets created of this greatest evil is is abortion, and then sexual immorality is the is, you know destroying the church, and then you come in. It's like, well, how, there there's that's not the culture that's going to wrap around me <laughs> when I'm in in a, in, a, in a in in pre, in this in this situation. Mm-hmm. So, how, what do you do about that?
2: Well, I. I think a couple things. I mean, I, I, I would echo that. we've I've heard a lot of that. I've heard a mm-hmm. people saying that it, it's frequent. Um, we've also heard a lot of, of people being really reductive about what an abortion is. Let me tell you, the story of abortion in the United States today is not a story about one victim and one oppressor. That's mm-hmm. not what's going on here. Mm-hmm. This is a story about a, a division that's happening in the most precious relationship that God has created mm. between mother and child. And there's a lot of things causing that division. There's a lot of people who are at fault. Um, our churches are at fault for not, like we talked about, saying that they will Absolutely 100% uh, be there to preserve that relationship and protect it. Um, you know, our, our politicians are at fault, right? Those who haven't stood with us for for the actual pro-life vision, which is really that both mother and child would thrive. It's for the well-being of both. Um, and to be honest, in this new world in which there's a lot of legislation that can be passed that will have great effect, people are going to be more tempted to believe that and get that message out there more than ever. So I want to remind people, this is not a story of one victim and one oppressor. Rather, this is a story of, um, of a woman who's walking a journey in her life That needs full support. And at some point, there's a breakdown in that journey. Things aren't supported. And there's another life that's at stake. And that life needs to be protected. And her life needs to be protected. Um, But every arena in our culture that's telling her she can't choose life, those voices are the ones that we need to change. Mm -hmm. And there's many of them out there. They even go to the issue of adoption, if we can talk about that for a second. The perception of what it means to choose adoption in our country, the perception of what it means to choose adoption in our country has just um, always been negative for the birth mother, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. We've got to profoundly change that. We've got to change that if we're ever going to get to a different place.
0: This has been – I'm just like – I want more. I want more about this conversation. But we, we have to wrap up our times running out. Josiah, this has been a fantastic conversation. How can people learn more about what you're doing is it VoicesForTheVoiceless.com?
2: Yeah, let me throw it out there. VoicesForTheVoiceless.org is where you can get more .org. involved. There's a lot of people right now looking to get more involved in this movement. If you want to reach out to me directly, here's my email address. Whoa. Yeah. We need, we need more voices. We need more people on the ground. Josiah at VFTV.org. Reach out. Thank you so much for being on here. I'll definitely will have you
0: back. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much. This has been a fantastic conversation, Couple us. Thank you for listening today. Counterculture is made possible by Amplify Peace, educating, immersing, training, and launching peacemakers to build united communities. And by Care Portal, a platform connecting the needs of children and families in crisis to the local church.